Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Praying for our children's ministry. Keep praying for our student ministry. Uh, God's doing some amazing things there. Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to start a new series of messages. I have really have had this series on my heart for a long time, probably about uh, five years. And uh, it's been in the back burner and uh, just been uh, not led to just preach it until uh, as of now. And so I'm going to start this series. and We're going to deal with uh, what we're calling seven things that God hates. And uh, when you have a topic like that, uh, certainly it, uh, it uh, begin, makes you really think, uh, is there anything that God does hate? You know, we are uh, living in a world where most preachers stand up and all they want to talk about is the love of God. They want to talk about how much God loves, and he does. Thank God that he loves us through the cross of Christ. Um, you know, he loves us despite who we are. Uh, thank God for that. So there is this great love and mercy by uh, which God loves us through Jesus. But the truth of the matter is there are some things God does not like. And uh, we're going to uh, hopefully over the next seven weeks together begin to discover what they are and uh, talk about them. And, and hopefully, the, the seri- let me just tell you what this series is intended to do. This series is intended towards revival. It's to revive our hearts. It's to make us look at ourselves. Uh, this series is not intended for you to look across the sanctuary and to see somebody who you think may fit that description and say, well, I hope they're hearing what God has to say today. I mean, honestly, that's not what it's for. Honestly, what it's for is for me and for you to look into our own hearts, into the depth of our own heart and say, God, is this me? God, are you speaking to me today? Is there maybe a corner of my heart that has this sin that I need to deal with, that I need to, Lord, I need to crucify it to the, in, the, in the name of Jesus and, and uh, deal with this sin in my life? Uh, perhaps it may be. And I, I don't know how we can go through a series of these six things and not find somewhere, some way that we may, in our minds and hearts, have to at least repent of one of them. And uh, I hope that you'll be willing and daring to let God speak boldly uh, into your life today, that you will at least give credence to the Word of God and be willing to say, Lord, if if you do touch my heart, I'll repent. And uh, that's what it's all about anyway, isn't it? By the way, repentance is not a bad thing. Repentance is a good thing. We run from repentance you know, it used to be in the days where we could have an altar call and people would flock to the altar and pour out their heart to God in repentance. And brother, you probably remember those days early on in your ministry where that would happen. And I remember even early on in my ministry where you can make an altar call and people would come to the altar and they would repent of their sin. They would make relationships right and, and things would happen. But today it's sort of like a stigma. We don't want to come to the altar. We're afraid somebody's going to think we're a wicked person. Well, the reality is we all are wicked. But by the grace of God, 
He has transformed us into the image of his son, Jesus, and he is working in our lives to make us more like Jesus every day. And until we're in the casket, until we're in his presence, he's going to continue to work because you will never reach a place of perfection. So there's nothing wrong with coming to the altar and bowing a knee and humbling yourself before God and saying, God, I just need you to do something in my life today. I'm not where I need to be. And I'll share some of that as we go through this morning. So I want you to think about seven things that God hates. Now, as we sort of jump into the series, I need to give you some overarching thoughts because I want you to, I want you to understand the text to the fullest, okay? So I want you to understand, first of all, that when we begin to talk about seven things that God hates, that this list that we're going to look at in Proverbs chapter 6, it's not an exclusive list. That is that, that when we look at these particular sins that are listed in this text, that it's not like God is saying, well, these are like the big seven, and so these are the only seven you have to really worry about. It's, that's not what God's saying here. God is pointing out some particular sins, and we're going to tell you the second overarching point. So the first one is the list is not exclusive in the sense that, you know, we can add to that list. So we can, we can add a lot of things to that list that are, that are sins. But these seven have something very in common. And that is this. Overarching thought number two is this, that if you look at each of those sins, they are sins against a neighbor. They are sins against the neighbor. So when you begin to think about the greatest commandment, what is God's greatest commandment to us? Jesus said, in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, that the greatest command is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. Mark adds strength. So love God with everything that we are. That's what we are, we are as a church standing upon, right? We talk about loving God. But then it also, Jesus went on to say, the second is like to it. That is, it's, it's in common. It's, it's weighty. The second commandment, the second greatest commandment, if you sum down everything in the law and the prophets, you summarize everything in the New Testament, and you come down to loving God with all that you are, but then you come down to loving your neighbor as yourself. If you will look at these seven sins, the reason why they're so abhorring to God is because it is a direct violation of loving your neighbor as yourself. I don't know how a Christian, I don't know how a church can be effective in the world in which we live if we practice these sins. You cannot be effective. Why? Because it is a sin directly violating someone else. And so as we look at these sins, I want you to understand that first of all, it's, it's not, you know, the list is not complete. It could be more. The list at number two, the list is dealing with violations against your neighbor. The third overarching thought I want you to understand is that this is a poetic design in chapter six, beginning in verse 16, is a poetic design by which when the writer says there are six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. That word play from six to seven in, in, in the poetry of the Hebrew Often what it's doing is it is drawing us down to the last verse. That is that it's trying to help us to understand if you look at all the sins being a violation of the second commandment, you look at the last one, number seven, and you find that is the worst of them all. That they, they sort of all culminate in one thing. What, is it, what does it culminate in? It culminates in God hates people who spread discord among his brethren. 
So I want you to think as we go through this series, what I want you to understand is that there is this progression by which we come down, and we'll talk about it being a violation against each other, violations against our neighbor, but ultimately where he's driving home the train is that God is not going to stand for you and I in the body of Christ, in the family of God, he is not going to stand for sowing of discord. And we'll say that to the end. We'll say that to the very bottom. So that's sort of the overarching idea and concept. I hope you sort of understand where we're going with this series and some of those overarching thoughts that we have. So let's begin to look at the text of Hebrew, or excuse me, Hebrews. I'm going to talk about Hebrew words in a minute. Uh, but I want you to look at the, the text with me of Proverbs chapter 6. And I want you to listen to what the proverbial writer Solomon says to us, beginning in verse 16, he says, these six things the Lord hates. I want to stop at that word hate for a minute. I want you to think about what the word hate means. As a matter of fact, the word uh, sane is the word that's used in the Hebrew. And that, that word uh, literally is defined as the word hate. We sort of understand what hate is. We talk about hate speech in America. We talk about people hating one another. We talk about white supremacy, hating black people. You know, we talk a lot about hate and we understand that word very clearly what it means. It means to be a, against somebody, to dislike strongly somebody. But it's interesting that the root of this word it is very interesting. The root of this word, sane, that is used in the Hebrew to talk about the word hate, can be interpreted as enemy. Think about that for a minute. These are six things that make you an enemy of God. These are things that God hates. And then he says, yet there's seven. Seven that are an abomination to God. We like to throw that word abomination around, but I don't think many people even know what that word means. But the word that is there is the Hebrew word tobayvah. Tobayvah is a word that, that means to disgust. It's a word by which we would use in our common modern day English, we would say it is something that turns your stomach. It's so vile, it's so wicked that it turns the stomach of God. There are Six things he hates, yea, seven that turn his stomach. I want you to think about that for a minute. These are sins that God not only hates, but they make his stomach queasy. Now, let me just say this. All sin is a violation of God. We know that. All sin is disgusting in the eyes of God. He is perfectly righteous. So don't get the idea that, well, my sin's not listed there, I'm okay. That's not, the, that's not the point that I'm trying to make this morning. What I'm trying to make is, the reason why the writer Solomon is pointing out these particular seven is because God is describing for us what a wicked man really looks like. And a wicked man looks like one who sins against others. Ultimately, even in the body, where he sows discord among brethren. So I want you to think about that as we, give me, as we go through the text, that I and you, we do not want to be an enemy of God by which we're committing sins, plural, but particularly seven that are listed in the text. Does that make sense? Are you with me this morning? So as we sort of launch into the text, these six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, 
We want to begin by looking at the first particular sin. Now that we sort of have the overarching idea and we sort of know what hate and abominations are before God, we sort of want to now begin to unpack a particular sin. And each week we're going to look at each of these particular sins and we're going to, we're going to sort of flesh them out. And you understand that, you know, we're looking at verse 17 and verse 17 says that what God hates is a proud look, a proud look. Now, we, we sort of understand what he's getting at, don't we? We sort of understand that there is the word pride that is in there. We, we understand what pride is all about. We've heard about pride. We've heard many sermons about pride. But notice that God begins with uh, one that is prevalent among all of us in this room. And if you just said, that's not me, then you just committed pride. Amen. Every human being struggles with an element of pride in their life. We all do. And we're not talking about good pride. We're not talking about I'm, I'm proud of my kids, you know, I'm, you know, that kind of thing. But, but the reality is, you know, we, we all struggle with some form of pride in our lives. And, and some of us to a greater degree than others. But the reality is, he says that God hates a proud look. Now, why does God hate a proud look? Can I just tell you why? Number one, I want you to write these down because I'm going to talk about pride. And I'm going to say, first of all, what pride does, and the reason why God hates it is because what pride does is it, it, it is an overestimation and it overvalues yourself. I want you to think about pride for a minute. When people are prideful, they, they spend a lot of time talking about themselves. They spend a lot of time on their credentials. They spend a lot of time on what is important to them. This is when, when we have church, how it shows itself and demonstrates itself is that personal preference become more important than the church. Personal preference become more important than the church. So it's what I want at church becomes more important than what God may want at church. And so we begin to, begin to push ourselves on other people with our own values and ideas. And we begin to think, well, they're more important than anybody else's opinions or values or ideas. And so God begins with this word of pride and says, the reason why I don't like it is because what you have to do is, first of all, you have too great of an assessment of yourself. Now, can I just be honest with you? I'm not all that and you're not either. Amen? And, and the reality is, though, do we spend all of our time, we spend all of our time trying to be all that. I mean, we, we do that by the haircuts we have. We do that by the clothes that we wear. We do that by the clothes, or excuse me, by the cars we drive. We do that by the houses we live in. We do that by the relationships that we keep. We do that by some of the things we do in relationships in order to propagate the fact that I got it all together, that I am all that. I mean, that's, I mean am I right? Am I wrong? I mean, come on, tell me. I, I think I'm right. We do that. I mean, they are making billions of dollars in commercial goods because they know that if they can appeal to some corner of our heart and our pride, that we're going to go buy a particular makeup or we're going to wear a particular hairstyle or we're going to buy a particular pair of pants. I, I went this week, I needed some new jeans. So I went this week and I bought these jeans and uh, <clears throat> it is the first time in, in a long, long, long time that I paid this kind of money for jeans. I tell you, I, I cringe. As a matter of fact, I went into the store and I picked them up and I thought, I am not doing that. I'm going to go to Walmart and I'm going to buy me a pair of those uh, jeans at Walmart. I'm not going to buy those 
pair of jeans. And they were in Dillard's. And I finally, I left and I walked around the mall and did some other things. And I ended up going back there because they were like 15 bucks more somewhere else. And so I ended up going back there because I really liked them. They fit good and I really wanted them. Uh, but the reality is, you know, they're Levi's. And I can remember back in the day when I was in high school, that's what everybody wore. If you didn't wear Levi's, you were some kind of dud or something, you know? Um, and, and you wore them, I can't remember the name of those shoes, but you wore them with those, uh, those brown suede shoes that had, you know, were like high tops, you know, you remember them, Steve, you probably had a pair, hush puppies, right? You know, you wore those hush puppy shoes, you know, of course he did. Hey, he's back in the day. Come on now. We dressed good, didn't we? We did. We dressed good. You know, because we have, we had this desire to betray to everybody we got it all together. And that's, listen, that's why kids, that's why teenagers are having such a difficult time in the world because they look at all these things on Facebook and they see everybody posting on Facebook how great life is, how wonderful it is. They're on vacation. They're doing this, they're doing that. And, and we begin, become envious and jealous and we then begin to try to elevate ourselves. And it's a direct violation, by the way, of the word of God. Listen to what the writer said in Proverbs 3, 7. He says, do not be wise in your own eyes, Fear the Lord and depart from evil. But that's not only it. Listen to Romans 12, 3. Listen to what Paul says. For I say, through the grace given to me, that everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. In other words, don't think that you're all that. Amen? I mean, that's basically what he's saying. But to think soberly, here it is, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Can I tell you the money you have in your pocket, the car that you drive, the house that you live in, everything that you have is because God has dealt you a measure of grace. It's not because you're all that in a box of chocolates. Amen. Because you know how I know that? You know how I know that? There have been plenty of men that I have known that have been high on a perch that the next day they were without a job. They were brought low. It can happen to any of us at any time, at any moment. And we need to understand that we're not all that. And so what happens with pride is that we have a great overestimation of ourselves. And so we're the ones that think we got it all together. We're God's gift to the world. You know, we're God's gift to our organization. And so we're going to straighten everybody out. We're going to tell everybody how it is. And we're going to tell everybody to, to walk to the beat of my drum. Can I tell you something? That's pride. That's pride. And so we have to be very cautious because pride sets up in our hearts and is very damaging. One pastor wrote this in an article. Listen to what he says. I quote him. He says, Haughty eyes are an arrogant man's window to the world. For the lofty perch, uh, excuse me, from his lofty perch in his own superiority, he uses them to look down upon others. From his self-made pedestal, he said that he fancies that he can see with greater clarity than even his creator. Pride is an affront to God. Pride is an affront to God. And by the way, pride is deceptive. Listen to what Paul says, Galatians 6 and verse 3. He's encouraging us, by the way, to use humility in restoring a fallen brother. And listen to what he says, as he says in verse 3. He says, for if anyone thinks of himself, um, excuse me, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, said he deceives himself. There's the apostle Paul. There's the word of God. When you begin to think you're something, you're really nothing. Think about that. That's scary, y'all. Can I just be honest with you? 
That's scary. Because that's why I said at the very beginning, we all got an element of pride. You know, you got to be careful how you share life with people from the pulpit. But, you know, can I just share with you, yesterday, Marina and I were coming home from Huntsville, Alabama, and we were in the car, and I sort of laughed about it in Sunday school a little bit this morning, but we had an incident, we had something happen in our life that, you know, I thought that, you know, I deserve better. You know, I preach, I do a lot of stuff for God, and, you know, and I thought God owed me better. I'm just going to be honest. I thought God should have took care of the situation for me and owed me better. You ever get that way? You know, and I was in the car thinking, you know, God, you, you owe me more. As a matter of fact, you know what, God? Maybe I'll just quit serving you. If that's what you're going to treat me, maybe I'll just be done. Maybe I just won't be a part of this anymore. You know? How arrogant and foolish that is. How stupid is that? But you know what? It just goes to show, David, we all got pride. And we all think God owes us something. Can I tell you, when you begin to think that way, you've lost it. Amen? You've allowed pride to creep out of the corner of your heart and take the throne. That's what you've done. And I'm here to tell you, God will not tolerate that. And God will do something. And I'll share a little bit about that in a little bit. But the reality is God will do something. So pride, it deceives. But listen, pride is when you overvalue yourself. Pride, number two, is when you devalue others. If I'm going to be all that in a box of chocolates, then somebody else can't be. You with me? If I'm going to be the hip guy, the cool pastor, then there has to be a doofy, goofy pastor somewhere. You get it? If I'm going to be the best flight jockey out there on Fort Rucker, then there has to be somebody who doesn't have a clue what they're doing out of flying aircraft. If I'm going to be the best cow herder out there, there's got to be some guy whose cows get that all the time. And he's just stupid. You know, I just love to have fun. I didn't realize what I said until I said it. It's okay. I wasn't really talking about you, but if the shoe fits. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> By the way, I forgot to announce there's a special called Deacon's Meeting at the church um, today. But uh, I'm just teasing. Not really. I don't think. <laughs> Pride devalues others. You get it, right? So when we begin to think that we're that, in order for me to be up here, I have to have somebody below me. And so what happens, rather than seeing people as souls that God loves and saves, I begin to devalue other people, and I begin to think I'm better. It, it happened to me this week. Matter of fact, again, we, were in, we went to Cracker Barrel Friday, and, uh, and standing in front of us was this guy. He was a skinny, skinny feller, and... Um, he had, uh, yeah, I don't like skinny people, but anyway, no, he was a skinny feller and, and, you know, he had some kind of weird thing on his shirt and he had uh, big giant gauges in his ear and he had a, one of those loop rings in his nose and I had some tattoos around his eye. And, you know, I, I found myself thinking, God, I, I'm like that public and God, I'm thankful I'm not like him. And God says, yeah, the only reason why you're not like him, because I saved you. Amen. And, and, you know, that, that's humbling when God has to whisper stuff in your ear and remind you, quit devaluing others so you feel better about yourself. And that happens far too much in life, but it happens too far much in the church. Amen? 
Sometimes in the church, we get too high and mighty and lifted up. And you know, even as a pastor, I can remind myself, yeah, you're the pastor. You're responsible for all these souls and what goes on around here. But you better not ever think you're all that. Because you think you're all that, God take that away from you. And he will in a heartbeat, I'm telling you. He will in a heartbeat. So in order for me to have pride, I have to overestimate myself. But listen, I'm, I'm devaluing other people. And that's, again, a violation of Scripture. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. He says in verses 3 and 4, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Here's, here's the part. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. What, what is God saying through the Apostle Paul? He's saying that if we are prideful and we devalue others, that we have directly violated the word of, the, of, of God, the, the Scripture. But when we begin to realize that people are valuable and that I don't need to be all high and mighty, I just need to be who I am in Christ. And, and what I need to do in my loneliness of mind, that is my, my own esteem, my own thinking, in my own thinking is where I have to deal and battle with pride. In my own thinking, because he said, but in loneliness of mind, let us esteem others better than self. When I begin to look at other people as more important than me, I can start turning this pride thing around in my life. Amen? Pride devalues people. So thirdly, I want you to write this down. You say, you're getting all this from this text. Yes. Getting all this from the word of God. Write this down because here's what pride. God devalues those who devalues others. Did you get that? God devalues those who devalues others. You're saying, what? Listen, God hates pride. Pride is an abomination to God. And therefore, God will punish pride, number one. Proverbs 16, 5, listen to what the smart man says. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, <laughs> none will go unpunished. So even if a bunch of pride people get together <laughs> and they think they're all that and they devalue others, God says, I'll punish them. There's not a group of prideful people strong enough to stay God's hand. Can I tell you, we got to deal with our pride, ladies and gentlemen. If we don't deal with our pride, God is going to deal with it. God's going to deal with it. He's going to punish you. And you're saying, oh, I'm a child of God. There ain't no condemnation for me. There's no condemnation, but there's punishment, let me tell you. If you're a child of God, he'll take you out to the woodshed. Remember a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I said God still pulls the peach limb. He'll still spank on you, amen? Why? Because he loves you. God doesn't need his children walking around in pride. He needs his children humble. He needs his children looking at others more valuable than themselves. Why? Because there are a lot of lost souls out there. And some of them look like that guy I described at Cracker Barrel. And we won't even go near them with a 10-foot pole. Why? Because we don't want to be around people like that. Let me tell you something. That's who Jesus died for. He died for the homosexual. He died for the Democrat and for the Republican. We may be on polar opposite sides. Listen, I'm not preaching policy. I'm preaching reality this morning. We set ourselves up with 
devaluing others based on party lines or on skin colors and all these other things. Let me tell you something. Jesus died for those people. And if I get haughty enough where I say, I don't want to be around those people, something's wrong with me. That's not Bible. That's not what the scripture teaches. And so God says, I'm going to punish the prideful. And I tell you, that scares me because I know (laughs) in the corner of my heart, Ed, there's some pride. And it came out in a very ugly way yesterday. And I'll tell you what God whispered me as I laid my head on my pillow last night to go to bed. I was still mad and I was still in pride and still angry with God. The guy whispered through the middle of the night, said, are you going to keep playing this foolish game? You know I don't like that. So I came across the street this morning. I, first, I had to apologize to my wife for my stupid actions. And then I came across the street this morning when nobody was here and got in my office and got on my face and my knees before God. I said, God, I'm tired of playing the game. How foolish of me to say I'm not going to serve God. How foolish of me to say I deserve better. Because you know what? The reality of, of every one of us in this room is that we deserve to be obliterated off of the face of the planet and cast in hell. And anything that I enjoy beyond that is all grace. It's not because Mike is all that. And it's not because you're all that either. God's going to punish your, your, your pride if you don't deal with it. And I would rather deal with it and repent than for God to, have to take me to the woodshed like he did me. Because it's a painful experience. Number two, write this down. God devalues those who devalues others. Number two, he distances himself from the prideful. In other words, God doesn't want to hang out with you when you're acting prideful. You know, you want God to be present all the time, and he promised to always be with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. But I'm going to tell you what. Have your prayers ever become barren? Have you ever sought the Lord's face to find an, an empty sky? Have you ever felt the voidness of God's presence? wonder if it's because we got pride in our heart. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 138, verse 6. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Do you want God to distance himself from you? (laughs) See, if I'd have kept up my attitude... I would have preached here this morning in vain. God would not be here this morning. God would not be on the platform with me. God would not be testifying to what I'm saying. Because why? Because he's not going to be near me. You say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God would testify to his word. Oh, I get that. His word word were to avoid. But listen, his servant would be. His servant would be. Number three, write down. I promise this is the last one. I'm going to bring it to a conclusion. Not only does God punish the proud. Not only does he distance himself from the prideful, but lastly, he resists the proud. Listen to what James warns us about, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud. That word resist is an interesting word because it is a, an action word. It is a word that says God is literally against, pushing against Those who are prideful. Listen, have you ever prayed for things to happen in your life because you think you deserve them? Let me tell you what God's doing. God's saying, "Uh, not going to happen. It's like a a big man putting his hand on the forehead of a little kid who's trying to get at him. And he's just burning up a lot of speed, but he's not getting anywhere, right? 
God is resisting. Listen, God is literally involved in resisting what you're doing because you're prideful. It's not that God's just aloof, but God is literally resisting what you're doing because you're prideful. Six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to God. He begins with a prideful look. And the reason why pride is so damaging is because it's an overestimation of myself. I, I value myself a little too much. But it's also because I devalue others. And I can promise you, if you don't deal with your pride, God is going to punish you. God is going to distance himself from you. And what God is going to do is he's going to resist your life and the things you're trying to do in your life. And you say, okay, preacher, if that's me, what do I do? And I hope that if you have pride in your heart, that you've been willing enough to say, God, I'm going to let the pride go. God, I want to deal with this pride. What do I do? What's the cure? What's the remedy for a proud look? The remedy is only one thing. It's called repentance. It's to say, God, I know there's times in my life that I'm prideful. God, I know that I like to hold on to the pride of my life. And God, I just know that I can't live my life successfully as a follower of Christ with this pride. God, would you purge it from me? Holy Spirit of God, would you just now examine my heart and show me and point out the areas of my life where I'm acting bigger than I need to be, where I have devalued others. God, would you show me those times so that I can repent of those things and get those things out of my heart? Would you do that? Can I just tell you this morning, that as I thought about my pride situation yesterday, as I began to pray this morning in my office, God brought to my mind a man. This, this guy called me a couple of weeks ago, and, and he and I were conversing on the phone, and, and he had asked me to participate in a situation and, and, and do some ministry in a situation. And, and uh, I took a look at his website, and I thought, you guys are the corniest people I've ever met. No, I'm not going to participate. I didn't tell that to his face. That's what I thought in my heart. So, Lord, that's a corny ministry, and I'm not going to participate in that. Can I just tell you, I'm going to have to call that guy tomorrow, and I'm going to have to apologize to him because I devalued him in his ministry. Because you know what, Chris? I thought I was all that. You're going to ask me? Man, I, <laughs> I could do better than that. God says, yep, you're all going to do better than that. You're going to apologize and tell the man you're wrong, and you want to make it right with him. Don't wait for God to have to do it. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.